Thank you, Tom, for honoring the complicated tension that we always walk into in worship for your modern commentaries on the technologies that we are required to use as a church. Um, as you see, we're constantly responding in real time to things that are happening in the world around us. Last night, I got a very important missive, a comment to the preacher of the day to pay attention to the fact that there was a game apparently yesterday in the city of Berkeley and also a victory. So, you know, just really felt the need to get that into the preaching of the gospel <laughs> of our Lord Jesus Christ on Christ the King Sunday. <laughs> Beloved, let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as your scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we might hear with deep joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. Well, folks, the season is officially upon us. And by season, I do mean the holidays, that really special time of year when you can almost taste joy and excitement mixed with the stress and anxiety all in the air. And yet, no matter what your feelings are about this time of year, there's no denying that there is a certain magic because the second holiday decorations go up and Mariah Carey starts being played on the radio, you can't help but be transported back in time, like Scrooge in The Christmas Carol, to holidays past and memories lived. For me, it's the smells. Whenever I smell pine trees or cinnamon, I am immediately transported back to December of 2013, 97th Street and Amsterdam Avenue. Jordan and I had just moved into a new apartment on the Upper West Side of town. I remember we were sitting on our couch in front of a Christmas tree that was far too big for the space that we were in. I was four months pregnant, hence the sensitivity to smells, and Jordan and I were in a heated discussion about what to name our unborn child. Should we give her a family name? If so, whose family? Should we give her a unique name to set her apart from the crowd or an easy name that anyone could pronounce? Should we go historical or cultural or even biblical? Now, being the super sentimental people that we are, Jordan and I spent about five minutes asking those existential questions before we both grabbed our phones, typed baby names into the Google search, and started scrolling. Now, for any of you who have ever tried to name anything, like a pet, or a person, or even a stuffed animal, you know that it takes about two seconds for this process to become very personal. Our discussion went something like this. So what about the name Ellen? I had a teacher in elementary school by the name of Ellen. I didn't like her very much. Next. Okay, well, what about Alisa. Well, Francesco and Huli just named their kid Alisa, and our kid is not going to have the same name as Francesco and Huli's kid. Next. And on and on this went. Now, you will be happy to know that we eventually found a name for our child, both of our children, actually. But what was more interesting than the names that we chose was how much we learned about each other in the process. 
our experiences, our biases, what we hoped for and desired for this unborn child. All that to say, names matter. They give meaning, they tell stories, they reflect histories. They give us a way of sharing our identity with the world, but they also give the world a way of imposing certain identities on us. Let me explain what I mean by that. Back in 2009, a study was conducted by two economists in South Carolina, analyzing microdata in the legal field. The outcome was a finding now known as the Portia hypothesis that showed that female lawyers with more masculine sounding names had a better chance of becoming judges than those with more feminine sounding names. 10 years later, economists at UC Berkeley and University of Chicago conducted a similar study, this time submitting nearly 100,000 fake job applications to over 100 companies with either a distinctive white name or a more distinctive black name. Like the Portia hypothesis, the study revealed that candidates with a black name were less likely to get a call back than similar applications bearing a white name. Now just in case it didn't land the first time, let me say it again. Names matter. They give meaning, intended and unintended. They tell stories, not just about the ones who bear the name, but also the ones who speak them. They reflect histories, both proud and shameful. They give us a way of sharing our identity with the world, but they also give the world a way of imposing certain identities on us. And that's just with human names. So what about the names that we have for God? Because let's be honest, we all have our favorites and our not-so-favorite monikers for the Almighty. Father God, Mother God, Creator God, Messiah, Savior, Redeemer, Yahweh, Adonai, Lord. But the most complicated name of all these names, Jesus Christ. Now our current political landscape proves that very point to a T. Depending on who you are talking to, Jesus is either a Republican or a Democrat. Pro-life pro or pro-choice or pro-mind-your-own-business, Team Raphael Warnock or Team Herschel Walker. I find it very interesting how the person of Jesus so often bears a striking resemblance to the person uttering his name. But as the ones who were created, God does not bear our image. We bear God's. And as tempted as we might be to name God ourselves, scripture gives us better ones, holier ones, more hopeful ones. And so in honor of the other season that is upon us, the Advent season, we as a church are going to transport back in time, back to the 8th century. Each week we are going to recite the names of Jesus found in the great antiphons, or the O antiphons of Advent. In honor of Christ the King Sunday, we are going to kick things off with the royal antiphon, O King of Kings. Hear now God's word for you today as it comes to us from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11. I think there's some feedback coming from this speaker right here. So I just wanted to give a heads up. I think it's this one next to the guitar. 
A shoot shall come out from the stalk of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. Thank you so much. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little, a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play, play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hands on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers over the sea. And on that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. He will raise a signal for the nations, and will assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Beloved, the word of the Lord. Now, this is easily one of my favorite passages in the Bible. First of all, because it's beautiful. The imagery, the rhythm, the sheer poetry of it all. But most importantly, it is evocative. An unexpected portrait of complete, unmitigated, unchallenged power. What it looks like, what it feels like, what it's concerned about. Now, while it reads like poetry, we cannot forget that Isaiah is history, meaning we can't just focus on the promise of restoration in chapter 11 and ignore the assurance of destruction that precedes it. Destruction sanctioned by God meant for those who abused their power. As the prophet details in the early chapters of Isaiah, the once oppressed people of Israel have now become the oppressors. The poor have become the rich, the defeated have become the conquerors, the weak have become the powerful. And instead of using that power as God commanded, Isaiah details how God's people turned away from those in need, turned away from their creator. And for this great sin, Isaiah details how the people of Israel will be conquered by Assyria, like a mighty flood drowning the lands. Now, knowing this context should make our passage for the day even more profound, even more poetic, and even more confusing. After all, what Israel needed was redemption, salvation, and a king. A king so powerful to defeat Israel's enemies and restore them to their rightful place as God's holy and chosen people. 
But instead of giving Israel the triumphant battle hymn they were hoping for, Isaiah gives them a poem, and a children's poem at that. I mean, can you imagine what this passage would sound like as a campaign ad? Vote for the king of the nations, the ruler from the stock of Jesse. Now, he's not going to use his eyes or his ears to govern. He doesn't have a scepter or a sword to fight with, but what he does have are some pretty cool belts made out of righteousness and faithfulness. His campaign promises include establishing shared housing for wolves and lambs, leopards and baby goats, and lions and cows. And he plans on building a really great play area for babies right on top of a snake den. <laughs> now, unlike his competitor, he's not really about making this nation great again, or even great at all. Instead, he's going to use his power in favor of the poor, the meek, the outcasts, and the leftovers. So when the ballot comes around, don't you forget to vote for the king of the nation. As I mentioned earlier, the antiphons of Advent are the names scripture ascribes to Jesus, not the names we give to him. Which means understanding each name comes with a bit of work on our part. Now some names are so ancient and outdated that most of the work we have to do is contextualize. Names like Root of Jesse or Key of David. Others are more metaphoric or obscure, leaving us to do more interpretation, names like wisdom or bright and morning star. But perhaps the one antiphon that requires zero translation is today's, O King of the Nations. After all, it doesn't matter if you are an ancient Israelite or a modern American, you know what those words mean. A king is a person of power. And a nation is a people governed by that king. And it doesn't matter if you are an ancient Israelite or a modern American, you know that kings or rulers or leaders are primarily concerned with two things, keeping power and growing it. Whether it is political power, like who is in control of the house or who is in control of the Senate. Relational power, like whose voice matters and is heard the most in our communities or our homes or even our churches. Or physical power, like who gets to dictate what someone does with their body, wears on their body, or how they see or feel about or understand their body. In the end, folks, it all comes down to power. How to keep it and how to grow it. But do not confuse our familiarity with this particular name for Jesus with an understanding of what it really means, with what power really means. While we do not need to translate or interpret this antiphon, the work before us is perhaps even harder. We need to redefine our understanding of Jesus as king, redefine our understanding of power itself. There is a reason Isaiah's prophecy sounds so strange, so out of this world. It's because it is. No earthly ruler or king has the power to lead all of creation and all of the nations to such peace and harmony. But a divine ruler could. 
only the king of nations could. A king who shows us that true power isn't about subjugation or, co or coercion. True power isn't about maintaining borders or extending them. True power isn't about being the loudest voice in the room or the biggest dog in the fight. True power doesn't yield guns or make threats or seek to control by any means necessary. In the end, true power doesn't very much look like power as we know it at all. Because as we see in Isaiah, the king that is to come flips every expectation that we have on earth about power. Instead of a throne, this king has a manger. Instead of caring about just one nation, this king cares about all of the nations. But most important of all, instead of being focused on keeping power or growing it, this king is all about giving his power away. Now, he may not be the kind of ruler that this world would choose. He may not even be the kind of leader that we would elect. But as it turns out, this king, this child, is the only one in the entire universe big enough to get small, strong enough to be weak, and wise enough to know that the only way to rule his people is to love them, to live with them, to give up his life for them. Friends, that is the one we wait for. That is the Messiah that is promised to us. That is the king of the nations. Another core holiday memory of mine dates back to December 25th of 2001. The first time I ever watched The Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> now, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the Council of Elrond. For all zero of you who haven't seen the movie, I will recap. Now the one ring that has the power to rule all free peoples of Middle-earth has re-emerged. Unfettered power is out in the open for the taking. The future is uncertain again. Thus a council of Middle-earth's most powerful leaders is gathered to discuss what to do. A group of the most courageous, battle-tested, impressive men and dwarves and elves and even a wizard, each towering and intimidating figures in their own right. And then there is Frodo Baggins, a hobbit. For so many reasons, he does not belong in that council. He is not impressive or commanding or ambitious. He is a hobbit. He is tiny. He is simple. He doesn't want to be there. The only reason he is is because he's the one who had the ring. He is like a child sitting at the grown-up's table. So it makes sense that he stays quiet and stays put when the grown-ups begin their deliberations one by one making their case as to what they think should be done with the ring. Some see the ring as a gift to be received, a power to be restored. Others see the ring as a threat that can easily be destroyed. After each proposal is deemed empty, it's revealed that the ring can only be destroyed where it was created in Mordor. 
And yet, uncovering that truth yields no discernible progress, as the discord amongst the council of rulers only grows deeper. Each individual operating from their own view of power, their own position of strength. And to anyone observing the chaos, it is painfully obvious that the ring's power is already at work, deepening the divides that exist. But at the very moment when the loudest voices in the room get even louder and the biggest bodies at the table get bigger, quiet little Frodo hops off his chair and says, I'll take it. Not even able to look his fellow council members in the eye not even able to raise his voice a decimal louder, he continues, I will take the ring to Mordor, though I do not know the way. And that right there is power. Unconcerned with its own desires, focused on the needs of others, it may not look or sound or feel like power, but what it is able to accomplish, what it counts as important, what it is willing to sacrifice and give up in the name of love, that is what makes it power. So friends, the season is upon us. Advent is near. The Christ child is near. The king of the nations is near. But do not look for him in the usual places because he won't be there. Do not call him by the names the world will give him because he will not answer. Instead, expect the unexpected. Look for the unlikely. And be ready to be surprised and amazed by what God has in store for humanity, for the nations, and for each and every one of us. Amen.